friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women to challenge expectations, creating a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. So today we're sitting down with Sarah, and Sarah is a survivor of cerebral palsy. This was a really important interview for me for a lot of reasons. The first is I've known Sarah a long time, uh, over 10 years, a story that we sort of put into context in the beginning of our chat together. And that made it important to me to be able to sit down with this friend that I've watched just kick some serious ass for the last 10 years. But the other piece of it that was important to me is that I founded this project under this idea that there would be one voice and a space for every body. And I've done a lot of interviews and written a lot of blog posts and hosted a lot of guest space for people, but I haven't had an opportunity to sit down with somebody who's living with a disability. I felt like that was really important, particularly during this survivor season, and Sarah was the perfect guest to sit down with me. She is articulate and brave and tells this beautiful story with this almost playful approach to things that would break a lot of people. But even about that, she was playful. We were talking about how different our struggles can be, and she said, you know, what would break me would probably not break you, and vice versa. Sarah is wise. She has so much to share with us today. So I hope you'll stick around and drop in to hear from the brave and beautiful Sarah. This is my friend Sarah, and Sarah and I go back um, a ways. Legit. Third grade. Third grade for our daughters who are now 17. Yeah. Um, In some sort of tragic twist of fate, (laughs) I was somehow corralled into being a Girl Scout (laughs) co-leader. And I'm going to tell you guys the truth here. Thank God Sarah is who Sarah is because, A, I had no business being a Girl Scout co-leader. And I said that when I when I was corralled. I was like, I don't really have time for this. And I, re- I, didn't I know. know what I was doing either. I was like, well, let's wing it. But um, so her winging it was incredible. She brought things together for these girls that was just beautiful. And I remember um, at the time I was actually in a really rough season of my life. It was at the end of my marriage. It was after the end of my marriage, but... But life was still kind of falling apart. It felt like it was. Life was very, it was very hard for me then. Um, Single mom and a bunch of little kids. And I remember watching Sarah, uh, the way that she moved in the world and the way that she owned her space and just led these girls. It was, it moved me. Um, I couldn't, it did. I couldn't barely find the energy to like wake up and give a shit at that point (laughs) in my life. And, um... I loved how you led them. It always moved me. So since then, for a while, our daughters were friends, and then that went the way that it usually does. It usually does. Um, and so we've just kind of kept tabs on each other over the years. Mm-hmm. And so as I sat down to curate a list for the season of Survivors, one of the things that was really important to me is that I didn't just present an ableist perspective. Um, it's very easy when you're in... Uh, an able body to not consider any alternative to that. And that's not the space that I want for the beautiful project. So Sarah will go into that a little bit more today, but thank you for saying yes. Sure. 
I'm really excited that you're here with, with us, with me. So um, let's get started uh, with the question that I ask everybody, and it's what do you think it means to be a survivor? I think that throughout our lives as individuals, we each have, people often reference cards that I was dealt, mm-hmm. and I was dealt. Mm-hmm. This is your deck. Um, and everybody has a different deck. Mm-hmm. And we can all handle certain things. What you can handle I might break me. What I can handle might break you. It doesn't make it... How do I say? Um, being able to play your cards mm-hmm. and not let it overwhelm you or trump you, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I think that in and of itself is survival. That's so good. So just, uh, you know, do what you can. Playing your cards. Playing your cards. That's so good. That is actually how you live. If I, I mean, from this vantage point, from having watched you all these years, it seems to be the way that you really do approach all of it. Yeah. Good. You're like, <laughs> I just made that up right there. Glad you think so. <laughs> uh, well, I often, I think as women especially, women talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Something this happened to me today, or how did that happen, or why did they do that? And our friends give us feedback, and they tell us, oh, well, when I fill in the blank, mm-hmm. this is what I did. Mm-hmm. And I think as women, we use that. We remember certain pieces of information that, oh, oh well, Janice said when she got divorced that this is how she coped with it. Maybe I'll try that, and maybe it'll work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? Well, I had said... Um, I'd said that that seems to be the way that you oh, approach yeah. the wor- uh, your world and your life. Yeah. Um, if you take those pieces of information from these women, then you can use that knowledge collectively yeah. to play your game and, awesome. and get through certain things. Oh, well, my stove broke. Well, what did I do? Uh, uh, let's get a new one. Sarah said I could find one at whirlpoolinsidepass.com. Let's do that. So right. we can use that to overcome these hurdles and these these mysteries that just pop up out of nowhere. So Yeah, we are better together. Yeah, we are. And I think that makes us a group of survivors yeah. surviving daily crap. Right, all this, the broken stoves. The broken and, stoves. And the bigger stories. Yeah. Speaking of the bigger stories, um, I want to open it up and uh, give you the opportunity to tell your story of survival with as much or as little detail as you want. And I'll just kind of guide us through the conversation, but you can start (coughs) anywhere that you want. My story is mine. Um, When I was a baby, six months old, went in for my checkup, Mm -hmm. and the doctor lifted, this is a story my mom tells, Mm -hmm. the doctor picked me up off the the table, and uh, my left leg just hung there, And they were all like, hmm, that's not right. Uh, And that's when I received the diagnosis of having cerebral palsy, Mm -hmm. which uh, my mom was a young mom, just like I was. And she was like, oh, what? How old was your mama? 20. 20, yeah, that is young Mm -hmm. mama. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So at a very young age, my mom was forced to make many decisions about my life. Uh, what am I going to teach her, what am I not going to teach her, because the doctors are very bleak. You know, in the 80s, they didn't know what they know today. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would say, Pam, this child's not going to walk. She's not going to speak and be understood. 
she's going to have a very limited life, um, so do your best. Uh, the bonus to this story is that my parents never let me know that I couldn't do something. Mm. They never said, you can't do that. Mm. They would say, well, let's see what we have to do. How can we manipulate the situation? Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, when I was a young girl, I was maybe 10 or 11, and my brothers would be out riding their bikes and racing and roughhousing and running around and couldn't ride a bike because I couldn't keep my bad side. I couldn't keep the foot on the pedal to push the bike. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Well, let's look at the problem. How do we keep the foot on the pedal? So my dad built some random little toe cup thing before toe cups were a thing. <laughs> and I would sit on this bike and I'd stick my little foot in there and learn how to ride a bike. I was like 11, which is pretty old to learn how to ride a bike. Yeah. But I did it. This is the same kid who the doctor said wouldn't walk. Exactly. Uh, you know, you walk down the halls. Kids are mean. You walk down the halls at school and everybody points and snickers or makes fun or... Picks on the, the less than person and tell me tell me about that. People don't know a lot of people as in the workforce in daily life, they'll look and yeah. they'll gawk yeah. and they'll wonder and they're curious because humans are curious people. Yeah. But they never just say, Hey, I'm not trying to be rude. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So instead yeah. Uh, they would call you names because right. they don't know what else to do. Right. And I can say that now as an adult, but as a child, that like just breaks your heart. Of course. Um, I used to have a full-length AFO, which is a, a brace on my leg that would go from hip to toe. Mm -hmm. And at the knee, there is a hinge. And what happens when hinges get used a lot, they get squeaky. Mm. So I'd walk down the hallway at school, second grade, and my brace would squeak, squeak, squeak as I'm walking down the hall. So I got the nickname Tweety for a mm. long time. Mm. Uh, things like that. And it was hard. It was really hard mm -hmm. because it didn't go away. It's not like, oh, third grade, new friends. No, it was just another Always round. The case. Yeah. yeah. Were you in this, did you stay in the same school system the whole I time? I did not. That I makes it even worse. I went to a lot of schools. Oh, I went gosh. to three high schools, um, three or four elementary schools and moved a lot. Oh, wow. So it was a new round every time. Um, yeah. And you learn to hide mm. you know, within yourself. Um, I was not the person I am now back then. Mm -hmm. I was, at first I was very, like, I would say up until maybe fourth grade, I was pleasant, as pleasant could be at fourth grade. Yeah. Um, but then the kids are getting older and the names are getting meaner yeah. and the, the pranks are getting worse and it was really challenging. Um, so I kind of just shut myself off mm -hmm. and I started to hate the world. Mm -hmm. Like I just, if you don't like me, fine. Don't like me. I don't care. I don't care. You know, that's what we say. Oh, I don't care. Oh, I cared. Of course you cared. Um, but I, but that's fine. I mean, at the time, was, this is what I'm going to do. It's a protection. Yes. You know? Right. I was protecting myself because yep. no one cared enough to ask. Just ask, and I'll tell you. That's a survival skill, though, what you're talking about, yeah. the um, I don't care. You know, I think sometimes 
we interpret that on people as some sort of negative characteristic, Mm -hmm. but most often it's just them surviving. It's just them coping with whatever the external stressor is. And in your situation, that stressor was constant. Constant. My mom would tell me stories about when I was little, you know, before we can remember about going to the supermarket. She always laughed and said I was the most traveled baby. She took me everywhere. Anywhere she went, I went to. And she would tell me stories about how people would point and whisper and stare and just, oh, don't look at that one. Don't look at her. Don't don't do that. Mm. You know, when the parents catch the son pointing or, mom, why does she look like that? Or, mm-hmm. mom, why does she, why doesn't her face work like everyone else? And my mom would tell me this stuff. And she always said the same thing. She said, Sarah, God just made you a little special. And I would, and I lived on that. I did mm-hmm. keep that tucked inside. Yeah. Um, the older I got, the further tucked it became. Yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty far in there, right? It was. <laughs> uh, and then when I was 17, I had a really pivotal moment in my life. It definitely changed my direction. Uh, I was the oldest of my friends, so I would drive and pick them up from work, and I was doing just that. And she was almost done with her shift at, at the Cracker Barrel. And so I went in the restroom, and I was just washing my hands, and this little girl came in in a wheelchair with her mom crying. She's so sad. Just gets you right in the feels. So I asked the mom very gently, because you never know whose toes you're going to step on. And I was like, is everything okay? Is everything okay? And she, the mother proceeded to explain to me that the young girl, who couldn't have been more than six or seven, was sad because she couldn't sit in a chair like everyone else, mm-hmm. which, God, don't I know how that feels, not being like everyone else. And I said, uh, can I talk to her? And the mother gestured, like, sure, you can talk to her. And I introduced myself, and I, uh, I asked her if you know, are you upset about those chairs? And she said, yeah. And I went, they're not very comfortable. Your chairs way more comfortable than those chairs. I said, but I'm going to tell you a little secret. And she said, okay. And I said, when I was little, the doctor said I would not walk. The doctor said I would not talk. Um, doctors say a lot of things, don't they? Doesn't mean we have to listen to all of them. I said, uh, I told, I explained to her, I said, so I bought a five-speed car. Do you know what that is? And she shook her head no. She didn't know. And her mom chimed in and went, like what dad drives. Oh, yeah. And, she, and I went, you know what? They said, you can't drive that car. And I, guess what? That car is parked right outside right now. I can drive it. Mm. And she smiled a little bit. And I said, so don't worry about those really uncomfortable chairs. Just keep doing what you're doing, keep trying, and you'll get where you need to be. Mm. And she chuckled a little bit and a little smile back and forth. And I went, are you going to be all right? Got this? And she laughed a little bit and said, I got this. And we went our separate ways. Mm. I don't know why she was in a wheelchair. I don't know what became of her. I'll never see her again. And even if I did, I wouldn't recognize her. But that conversation in the ladies' room with the little girl in a wheelchair uh, changed me from being mad at the world to saying, well, maybe I can use this impairment to 
help little girls in wheelchairs in ladies' rooms. You know, just a 30-second conversation changed this girl's day. Yeah. So let's keep doing that. That is fucking gorgeous. That is a... <laughs> that is a fucking... It's a gorgeous story. So... It's a true story. It's probably one of the best stories I have in my 37 years. It's a pretty good story. Uh, I am not even going to add to that because <laughs> normally it's my job to pull more out of that and there's nothing for me to pull. Anybody who um, just listened to that story doesn't need any of my wisdom added to it. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. I'm serious. So tell me how, um, so you were 17. Yeah. Um, tell me, so you said that that changed your perspective and it shifted this sense of anger at the world or probably fury is what I would guess at that point. And so what did that, how'd that translate to your life? Like, what did that look like then? Uh, I think at that point I started to, I mean, it didn't happen overnight, but I started transitioning into this place of finding the good in the bad, the Mm -hmm. silver lining. Um, I can't, what can I not do? There's a lot of things I can't do. (laughs) Um, I can't, I'm searching for an example. I don't, I can't run. Well, I can, but it's not very pretty. And it doesn't, usually (laughs) doesn't end well. Yeah. Um, I can't run, but, but I can walk. Mm -hmm. Um, Which they said I wouldn't be able to do. Yep. I, I, when you slow down a little bit and you think, well, I can't run, but I can walk. I mean, I, I can get where I need to go. And they take me a little bit longer. Yep. But at least I can. Yep. And talking to this little girl and seeing that it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. It's different. And yes, yeah, some of it sucks. But it's not all crap. So I was able to start looking at the positives a little bit more frequently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... In this day and age, even now, I try to hold on to that mm-hmm. uh, when the stoves break and the dryers break and the teenager's moody and there's dishes in the sink and the dogs are barking and somebody peed on a rug. <laughs> you, I, sometimes that gets me. Um, but sometimes, you know, I, I have a rug to pee on. Mm. And I have a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. And sure, my clothes aren't drying quite as fast, but hey, water dries. And, you know, it's things like that where you're like, okay, let's just take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Think about what we do have and go from there. And that approach took root in that it did. lady's room. That's kind that. of where it started. Yeah. Before that, it was like uh, my dad would tell me, Sarah, if people don't like you, fuck them. Yeah. They don't need to know you anyway. Yeah. Which is good. And I still hold on to that, too. That's but it's a little negative. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say, you know, fuck the world. Yeah. I want to believe that sometimes people just don't know how to say it. Yeah. And that can, can be mean, but let's just say, hey, if you want to know, yep. just ask. Just ask me. So one of the things, um, well, I don't like to do the whole, like, uh, equating experiences. So my experience is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things people don't know about me is that until I was 30 years old, I had a wandering eye. My right eye would not look at you, right? Really? It was, like, way off to the right. Hmm. The kind of um, uh, 
physical, and I don't talk about this. It's really weird to me that I'm putting this out on my podcast. <laughs> so um, I was born with crossed eyes and I had a couple of surgeries and I was a baby. And then I had glasses, and what often happens with these eye muscle surgeries is that over time it just weakens. Mm-hmm. And over time it had weakened. And I'm not really sure why there wasn't intervention at the time, because there was an option, but I didn't know that. I was, like, in junior high. Mm-hmm. So by the time I wanted to take intervention, it was really pronounced. So I would look at you with my right eye, but my or my left eye, and my right eye would be all the way over here. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, the world does not interact in a comfortable way no. when that's how, when that's the first thing you see about a person. Yeah. So, um, I can relate to the experience of, of just wanting to let people ask me yeah. like the idea, um, or, but then there were times where people would ask me and they would say like, well, where should I look when I look at you? And I'm like, then there's a thing in me that I wanted to be like at my fucking face. <laughs> what do you mean? Where you sure should you look? Right. Yeah. Um, when I was 30, I was, I was at the eye doctor and he said, can I ask you why you've never had that fixed? And I was like, that's super rude because I can't. Cause I'd been told I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, no, you actually can. And the best surgeon in the world is at Iowa city. And so I had this eye surgery that changed my life because, um, because I felt like for the first time the world could see me. Yeah. Not just my eyes. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that plays for you still. Is there, or is there, I, I don't know if that, does that resonate with you at all? Sure. And does it play for you? Do you ever, I mean, I remember thinking like, I wish you could just see me. Like I'm not just this. Oh yeah. Not my disability. Yeah. It's just a piece of it. Just a piece of it. Sure. I do. Um, I think every, I think Everyone, but I know I not always bright and shiny. I have days where I'm like, why is this happening to me? Why can't I be like everyone else? Why can't I walk normal? Mm -hmm. Why can't I talk normal? Why can't, why can't, why can't? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's natural. I think that's normal as whatever normal is. Yeah. Um, I, I wish that it wasn't a thing. Yeah. But it is. And that's all there is. I mean, it is. It is what it is. People say that a lot. And, and this it's getting really, very trendy. It, it is, is yeah. very trendy. Yeah. And I think that's the epitome of have, living with cerebral palsy is it is what it is. So let's work around it. Mm-hmm. Let's get it done. And what is that? So tell us, tell the audience a little bit about that. What is it like to live with cerebral palsy? And what are the things that are different for you in your day than we would even think about? Well, I was lucky enough to find a boss that understands and is willing to make um, changes Mm -hmm. accordingly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Living with cerebral palsy is a lot about knowing your limits. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm lucky. I'm on the mild end of the spectrum. I'm not in a wheelchair. I have full range of mobility for the most part. I there's a lot of pluses. Um, so I mean, if I ha- if you have to have cerebral palsy, this is the kind to have. <laughs> um, I there's a lot of things that I can't do, but I try to do anyway. Mm-hmm. And I wish I didn't do that, but never say die. Um, I wish I could walk up the stairs like you walk up the stairs. Yeah. And I see that. And I, that is something that probably crosses my mind every day. Like, oh, I wish I could just left foot, right foot it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I can't. And we'll, 
one day at a time. Sure. Um, I there is a very significant amount of pain involved. Mm. Uh, it's a constant thing, and we hear a lot about people, you know. Um, people with fibromyalgia and people with chronic fatigue and there's all of these things that you look at them and I think people look at me and they think uh, something's wrong with her Mm -hmm. Um, she can't do this she can't do that but I don't think they consider the amount of pain involved Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm using muscle groups differently than you would use muscle groups yeah I and that causes extra strain and extra fatigue and standing like I shift my weight a lot and I tend to put most of my weight on my good side Mm -hmm. which causes you know your feet hurt Mm -hmm. and then your thighs hurt and then I call them my walking muscles but it's your gluteus medius muscles Mm -hmm. Um, most people don't use those to walk at least not as strongly as I do Mm -hmm. Um, and I think people underestimate that Mm -hmm. Uh, learning to uh, like I said I have a boss that um, understands and works with me she doesn't I we talked about it and when it comes up and when I need to shift you know to shift my schedule a little bit she does that to the point where I don't work more than two days in a row because I need a day to recuperate uh, I don't work more than six to eight hours at a time because any more than that and I'm just a mess mm-hmm. um, living with these restrictions can sometimes be daunting Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad wants to take me to the Philippines. We have a house there now. Uh, surprise. <laughs> um, and whereas most people, he's like, yeah, I'm getting your ticket. We're going in December. And I, most people would be like, yay, I'm going on vacation. My first thought is, am I going to be able to get around? Mm. It's a third world country, technically. Right. Uh, what restricts, you know, what do I have to be prepared for? Yeah. Which is not something most people live with on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. It's like um, when our children started high school and you go to the high school with your children on orientation and then you get to walk around the entire school mm. for an hour up and down multiple flights of stairs. That's a fucking nightmare. It is a nightmare and it's painful. Yeah. Um, and people don't think about that. Yeah. They don't consider, well, she's got, you know, something on the east wing on the fourth floor, but then her second period's on the first floor in the west wing, and you have to truck, you know, mm-hmm. five flights of stairs to get down and five more to get back up. Mm-hmm. People don't consider the fact that, yes, it's exhausting, but I'm telling you, my quads at the end of the day, yeah. Shredded, so, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that most people wouldn't consider. No. And that's something that I have to consider every day. What are the things you've done that you are like, that, I'm a fucking rock star? (laughs) Uh, What have I done? I don't know. Because you've just normalized the things that you've accomplished, right? You're like, I'm just... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's just my life. Because I'm thinking about the fact that you had a doctor who picked you up and said she's never going to walk or talk. Uh, I, I learned how to drive a stick shift. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, it was interesting. And again, my dad had to carpenter that, that clutch up. Um, yeah. So my first, it was my first car. Go big or go home, Sarah. <laughs> um, I went shopping to get with my mom and her former husband. And we went to this crappy car a lot, you know, with our $1,500. Yeah. And my mom's like, let's wheel and deal. 
And my mom's boyfriend, then boyfriend, was like, she can't drive that. Mm. Oh, yeah? Mm. Watch me. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't care for him. So I was really excited to make him eat his words. Yeah. It was hard. Um, <laughs> because it was a beer with a heater, as they say, <laughs> uh, every time you would kill it, you'd have to jump start it to start it again. Oh, wow. Well, what happens when you're learning to drive a stick shift? You kill you it all the time. kill it every five minutes. Um, but that man was like, she can't drive that. Watch me. Mm. So we bought the car. Um, my dad figured out a way to adhere uh, a block of wood to the clutch pedal so that I had more, mm-hmm. um, what do they call it? I could apply more pressure to the clutch in order to shift. And I drove the hell out of that car. I hated every minute of it. It was miserable. But I did it. Mm. To that, know that you could. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if we have an apocalypse and all there are six shifts, I can get us where we need to go. <laughs> <laughs> you're the transport girl. You're the, get- <laughs> you're the getaway girl. That's me. Oh, my God. I love that. Uh, so I think that was a major accomplishment. Tell me what it was like to... Um, were there, was there difficulty raising a child? Physical difficulty? I was always worried that people were going to come at Haley and be like, your mom's weird. Or yeah. what's wrong with your mom? Or yeah. why does your mom talk like that? Or what's wrong with her face? Mm-hmm. I was always worried about that. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, If that ever happened, she never told me about it. Mm-hmm. Haley does internalize a lot of things. Um God willing, I try to pull it out of her. But it was always a concern. Girl Scouts, mm-hmm. and I'll like, do these girls ever say anything when I'm not around? Because, you know, they're little kids. They're not going to say anything to your face. The right. little kids are mean. Yeah. Even if they don't mean to be. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely always a question. Yeah. I hope, it's my hope as a mother that 10 years from now when she's all grown up and she can look back and look at it in a positive way mm-hmm. and say, my mom went through all of this. I can do this. Mm. If she can do it this way, I can do it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that she someday looks at me and thinks she was strong. <laughs> she did it. I can do it too. But I think that's what we all think for our children. Yeah, you have a pretty good shot at that, though. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I, I know you're in a. I know we're both in a season of some <sighs> challenges that yeah. way. But people tell me, particularly with daughters, that the suffering is now and they come back later, and it's magical. I've heard that. I've like, heard it from almost everyone. Yeah. Like statistically, we're in good shape. I hope so. Me too. My mom, I'm the oldest of six children. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm -mm. Sarah, Sean, Adam, David, Chris, and Katie started with a girl, ended with a girl. That's a shit ton of kids. The twins are 19 this year. They turned 19. Okay. Um, So there's Haley's 17. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So aunt and uncle is two years older. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, Lost my train of thought. Oh, my mom always said... Boys are easier. Mm-hmm. Girls are more fun. Mm. So I'm hoping... It turns out that way. Yeah. Yeah, they're not currently fun. But no, they're not. No. But bless their hearts. Oh, something like that. <laughs> so um, it sounds like your parents were like champions for you, generally. They were. Uh, my mom 
taught me compassion in that sense, and my dad taught me to be tough. Mm. Kick rocks. If you don't like me, go home. Mm-hmm. I and he always called me sweetheart. It's okay, sweetheart. We'll get there. What can I do? He always, he was always he was the MacGyver of my world. It sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Always helping you to accommodate. Yeah. They never, um, you know, when a child is at the playground or they're walking down the street and they trip and they fall and moms go, oh my God, sweetheart, are you okay? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. My parents didn't do that. I fell a lot. I still fall a lot. It's actually a running joke. I always say that I'm a professional faller. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at it. <laughs> um, my dad would, and I would, and I remember this very vividly whenever I would trip and fall he would grab the upper part of my arm like to catch me Mm -hmm. just my arm and he'd lift me up and he'd rush me off with the other hand and he'd set me down and be like all right you're okay and off I would go Mm -hmm. I was okay dad said I was okay so I am yeah so I am that's also fucking gorgeous. <laughs> I've said fuck a lot in this interview. I don't normally say it that often, but I am so... I mean, I say it a lot. I do, too. Um, but I am... Um, it's a thing. Well, I'm thinking about why it's so prevalent in this interview. I am so... I, I get that to you what you're talking about is normal. You're like this I like it's why you couldn't answer the thing that you were super proud of having done. Yeah. Um, because it's just your life and you're just doing your life, right? Right. Which is true often of stories of survival. I listen to a lot of them and I'm like, wow, how did you do that? And like you said, um, the thing that would break you is not the thing that would break me. Right. Right. But I think, I keep saying fuck because I am so, um, it's a word that I use to emphasize things when Mm -hmm. I'm moved by something, honestly. Yeah. In a good direction or a negative direction. Same. And you're just a fucking badass. (laughs) Like, I know you don't think you are, but I'm, I'm listening and being present to what you're talking about. Like, just the chronic pain alone. Just that by itself. Let's pretend like there are not all these other limitations. And this idea that you watch people walk up the stairs and want to, to be able do to do that. that. And you think about that every day. I do. It's, and it seems like such an insignificant thing. Oh, isn't it? But it's always the insignificant things that are really deeply significant to I us. I think you're right. Definitely. Almost always. You know? I, can, I generally can handle quite a few catastrophes in a row. Yep. Yeah. Um, but there, whatever it is... No matter the smallest thing, whatever the smallest thing is, always the one that brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. And I'm like, this is stupid. (laughs) Shouldn't be upset about this. Yeah. Because I survived all that. Yeah. And I can do this. Why is, you know, the water bill a thing? (laughs) Like, little stupid things. The toilet's leaking. Oh, Oh, it's a $5 wax thing. Yeah. But that's the one that gets you. It's a $5. I think it's because we spend so much of our life, though, extending ourselves right at capacity. Yeah. And so when you're when you're right at capacity, when you're standing on the edge of a thing, yeah. it takes a leaking toilet to like <laughs> flick you, yeah. and you're like, well, that's it, or that's it. I'm, I'm out. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've survived a diagnosis of cerebral palsy to this point, and that leaking toilet is <laughs> that's it, man. Yeah. I quit. I totally get that. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for all of that. Sure. So we always wrap up a question. Um, 
it's a really important question to me because there are women in our audience, I can guarantee there are women in our audience, probably most of the women in our audience are surviving something. And it might not be a diagnosis like yours, and it might not be all of the things that I have survived, but we're surviving something. And uh, you said something in the beginning about how powerful collective storytelling is. Mm-hmm. One of my lines for this podcast often is that our collective stories heal us collectively. And so I think that there is this sense of shared wisdom that is healing. So uh, to that end, I want to invite you to share with those people in the audience, those people who are surviving, what it is that you want them to know about surviving or about themselves or about the whole mess of the thing. We all have our own story to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, Make it a good one. Mm -hmm. We... Search for the silver lining. Mm-hmm. Hold out for the kindness. Mm. Understand that we all have things going on. Even when somebody you know is really rude to you, maybe they're they just got a phone call. Mm-hmm. Be your best self, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And if you can do that, if you can be your best self and find the kindness and find the silver lining, you're gonna turn out alright. It's going to be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. I can't top that. That was perfection. Thank you so much for your story. Anytime. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Sarah. I hope you were able to find something for yourself in her words today. I know that for me, the thing I walked away with was this reminder of the deep resilience of the human spirit, because that's really the word I think of when I think about Sarah. You know, I watch her often because she works at a local coffee shop where I will take a lot of meetings and um, spend my days working, and I watch her walk around this place and bring people their food and smile and have conversations and she is one of these people that her presence really does light up a room and I think about the fact that there was a doctor who said she would never walk and she would never talk and then I can't help but be reminded of resilience of the fact that people can tell us one thing about who we are And it is within us to look at it and decide we can be something bigger than that. And so I'm grateful for that reminder today. I hope that you are as well. If you loved today's interview, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast or leave a review. That way other people can find us. If you want to follow along with The Beautiful Project, you can find us at thebeautifulproject.com. That's beautiful with two L's and on Facebook and Instagram at the same name. Thank you for spending your time with us today, beauties, and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.